Thanks. Well, good morning, everybody. Wasn't that awesome? Our kids uh, is so good. I'm always glad. I still remember a few years ago when a little girl up there looked out, very afraid at the crowd, was trying to do her best, and said, Mom, I'm going to throw up. <laughs> and she proceeded to do so. She was good on her word right then and there. And that, that, was, that was my most memorable you know, Christmas kids performance. Still waiting for those kind of... The, the faux pas are better than when it goes great, I think. It's just me. But um, they did great. And uh, I love the way they do their best to sing songs and, and recite scripture that reminds us of the good news of Christmas. Um, some of you were wishing you were up here singing with them. I know this. I know you love Christmas carols. You love singing. Wasn't it great to sing some in our service earlier on? O come, O come, Emmanuel. Great prayers, great songs. And I want to tell you, we have a tradition at Hillside, you can actually do this. On Christmas Day, we have a tradition of going to Hawthorne Senior Center. Anybody who wants to come, you can bring your family. And if you happen to be free at 10.30 till about 11.45 on Christmas Day, we sing the halls and we sing as the seniors are gathering for, for dinner. These people are, are people who are, they're, they're shut in there. And, and so it's such a gift to go and, and to sing on Christmas Day. And so if you're interested in doing that, details are in your bulletin. And just show up at the back entrance and, uh, uh, on, on Christmas Day and sing through the halls. You'll be able to sing your heart out, guarantee. Well, we're in the season of Advent, and I've been thinking about the Christmas story. And that's not the, you know, I'll shoot your eye out. You know, you'll shoot your eye out, Ralphie, Christmas story. I know some of you have seen that. But the actual true story of Christmas. And, and I've been wondering, I've been thinking about this question did the first responders to the birth of the Christ child really get it? Did they actually understand what was really going on? Did, did the angels, as they announced the, the birth of Jesus in the skies, did they know what an awesome thing that was taking place that night? I mean, did the shepherds, as they approached the baby, did they realize how right it was that they bowed their knee before the Christ child? The wise men, they, they knew a king had been born. Did they, have, did they have any clue that this, what kind of king this was that was before them? Did Mary, great ponderer as we know she was, did she have any idea really of who this newborn babe she was holding in her arms really, really was? I, I think sometimes in the midst of our Christmas celebrations, we can kind of lose sight of the the real, the actual Christmas story, what really happened. And so I, I want to just take a few minutes this morning and reflect on, on that first Christmas, the implications of that for us. And we're going to do that through looking at the Gospel of John. And then we're going to actually consider one real-life application for us here at Hillside Community Church today. We'll end with that. But here's what really happened. The one who made the world entered the world in person. John 1 proclaims, in the beginning was the Word, Jesus, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was God in the beginning. Through Him, all things were made. Without Him, nothing was made that has been made. And the Word became flesh 
and he made his dwelling among us. In other words, that the one who created the world has become a creature, a, a human being. God became a man. That's the real story that I think sometimes gets lost in all of our celebrations. That's the good news that should be broadcast on every news channel, should be posted on every social media site. Yeah, every person on the planet ought to hear the news at least one time that the living God has become one of us. It's actually unbelievable. Not as in you can't believe it, it it's just wild, so crazy. Like, I mean, you would never have scripted this story. Now, I can believe there's a God. You know, I, I, you look at creation. I, I, I look at the mountains and the trees and, and, and the sea, and I can believe that God made that. He created that. I, I can believe that God did all kinds of miraculous deeds like we read in the Bible, like parting the Red Sea or, or, or keeping Jonah alive for three days in a great fish. I can believe that. But this, what God did at Christmas, that the living God entered into our existence and did so as a baby, as an infant, you know, who, who knew nothing and had to learn everything. <laughs> Have you ever heard of anything so utterly fantastic? The creator became a creature. God became a man. It's unbelievable. Think about this as you, you think about the rest of, of the Jesus story. I mean, the, the one who laughs so much that authorities think he's drunk, uh, he made the universe. I mean, the one who weeps so deeply at the graveside of his friend Lazarus, life and breath were his idea. You know, you know the, the one who, who gets so thirsty that, that he has to ask a Samaritan woman for a drink he made the first oxygen atom and the first hydrogen atom and determined that together, forged together, they would form water. You know, you know when Caesar Augustus, when, when he thought that he ruled the world, the one who spoke all the, the galaxies and the stars into space lay quietly nearby in a cattle trough. How crazy is that? The star maker himself entrusted himself to a teenage girl. When Herod the Great was strutting about, Jesus needed a mother to feed him and burp him and change his diapers. Unbelievable. Theologians, they call this miracle the incarnation. It, it simply means the enfleshness of God. Christmas is celebrating the enfleshment of the Creator. It means God moving into the neighborhood like honey who moved in next door? Imagine. God. Oh, God. The angels gave the shepherd a sign. You will find a baby lying in a manger. I, I like how C.S. Lewis described this in the Chronicles of Narnia. He said, in our world too, a stable once had something in it that was bigger than the whole world. Unbelievable. The, the implications of this are huge, and I want to just name a few this morning. As a result of Christ's coming, we human beings have unbelievable worth. I mean, Jesus did not come. God did not become flesh as a puppy or a kitten, not as a wombat or a whale. God became a, a human being, forever declaring our immense value. God so loves us that he became us. 
on top of that, in, in God becoming flesh, he honors our everyday sort of ordinary existence in, in our bodies. We, we think that God only cares about spirit. You know, God's, God is spirit. We think he cares about spiritual things. And that maybe God really, if, if truth be told, he only really cares about the 90 minutes you spend in church on a Sunday. But it's just not true. The, the, the incarnation means that God cares about us where we live in, in the work that we do with our hands, in, in, in the, the things that we think about, in, in the gritty, daily, functional part of being a human being. Because God was embodied, our, our embodied everyday lives matter. They, they, they carry a weight to them. And because God became one of us, we have unbelievable comfort in our suffering you know, Christmas expresses the unbelievable compassion of God. You know, I, I think most people think deep down that God can't understand our pain. He, he can't understand when we really go through dark times, when, when, when we're really hurting. <laughs> but the Word became flesh. What, it, what does Christmas declare? It, it, it's God experiencing loss. It, it's, it's God weeping in a garden it's God being abandoned by a friend, betrayed by a friend. It's, it's God hanging on a tree. It's, it's God who experiences firsthand violence and, and injustice. He understands. He's been there. Another implication of the incarnation is that, as Daryl Johnson puts so well, the unbelievable claims of Jesus have unbelievable believability. Did you catch that? The unbelievable claims of Jesus have unbelievable believability. And he goes on to say, if Jesus, Mary's son, is in fact the living God in our humanity, then it makes sense for Jesus to th say things that no one else ever said. He can say, I I'm the bread of life. He can say, I'm the light of the world. He can say, I I'm the way, the truth, and the life. If Jesus is the one to whom we will one day, all of us, give account for our lives to, if he says our sins are forgiven, then our sins are forgiven. If Jesus is the creator wrapped in our flesh and he cries out from the cross, it is finished, then it's finished. If the Almighty has come to earth as one of us and says, follow me, we can know that he knows where he's going, and, and we can know that the smartest thing that we can do is actually to follow him. If, truth, if the real story be told, we realize how right it was for the shepherds to fall down before this baby and worship him. And, and, and how right it was for the wise men to, to drop their work and, and to travel like a thousand kilometers or more in search of this child and, and fall down to worship him. If, if the real story be told, we, we realize how appropriate it is that, that millions of people around the globe in countries we've never heard of are worshiping Jesus today. One, one Christmas card says it so well. The word did not become a philosophy to be discussed, a theory to be debated, or a concept to be pondered. The word became a person to be followed and enjoyed and loved. Final implication, 
You know, when we consider that Jesus the Christ, the Almighty himself, moved into our neighborhood in order to show us his love and in order to make himself known. I, I love this. Jesus is God with a face. I mean, we get so easily confused about the mystery of God. That word itself means so much to so many different people. And Jesus said, God says, you want to know what I'm like? Here's Jesus. Here's what I'm like. He makes himself known and he shows us his love. But it actually makes a lot of sense that, that if God is like that, if God has made himself known like that, then as we follow him, he would call us to be incarnational with our lives, to get enfleshed in our neighborhoods and in our world. That we do what Jesus did. I, I, there's no more vulnerable thing than God becoming a baby, becoming an embryo. Uh, the risk that God takes, the great risk of Christmas that we see in the incarnation, God becoming flesh. And, and he calls us to vulnerably step out into our world to take the same kind of risks. We're tempted. We're Canadian. We're tempted to let's cluster up. Let's, let's get cozy. Comfort is our, our, our banner, I think, across our country. Comfort and security. And yet God calls us to, to engage with the people we meet in our community, the people especially who, who have less than we do. He calls us to actually look at the needs of the world around us and, and not turn away, not tune it out, but, but actually engage with the brokenness and the injustice and the, the need that we come across in our world, the suffering. And instead of running away, we're, we're called to run toward, to, to seek to imitate our Jesus and to bring his healing and hope and compassion to the world. And because, and this is the best news, because Jesus came and then he gave us the gift of his spirit, for those who open their hearts up to Christ, his spirit indwells us. And then we actually have something to give the world. We don't have to go and just try and be nice to everybody. He actually gives us his spirit with which we actually have within us the very love of God that gets manifest through us as we go out and love others in the name of Christ. Jesus says, whatever you do to the least of these, you do it unto me. And, and, and we do it. We, we become actually, the, the, the church is actually called the body of Christ. We're, we're, we're his body here on earth. And so we manifest Jesus to the world. We become his hands and his feet by his love. Folks, I love that. I've told you many times that Red Cross commercial, love, it's in you to give, right? The blood commercial, not the Red Cross. Forget about the Red Cross. It's the blood, it's in you to give. Love, it's in you to give too. Thank you, hon. Blood is in you to give. So is love. God's given us his love to give to the world, to show to the world. Love it. Love it how our marriage gets highlighted often from the front here. It's just a great <laughs> gift to me that we get to do that. I love that. The spirit of Jesus in us showing his love to the world. This, this brings us to Hillside Community Church. God calls us to an incarnational life, and we want to respond to that call. And so many of you know God has opened a specific door, a, a door actually in a faraway place that we never dreamed of getting involved in many years ago, a doorway to partner with a little church in the Middle East, not all that far actually from where 
the wise men were from. I love that. But God's opened up a relationship through our friends at Hungry for Life International, who we have partnered with for many years in Kenya specifically. But we've got a connection with this little church in Dahuk, uh, Iraq, that ministers to the poorest of the poor, that, that, that does outreach to, to refugees who have fled and are living in tents and, and have lost everything, not always sure where the next meal is coming from. And so this Christmas Eve, we're going to have an offering entirely dedicated to supporting that great work. We, we, we honestly don't take offerings. We've only done it once in our history, taken an offering on Christmas Eve. We did it to, to sponsor a refugee family. Here we're going to actually wanting to bless a bunch of refugee families way over in Duhok and bless this church that are doing this great work. This morning we have a special guest with us. His name is Brent White, and, and he's on staff with Hungry for Life. And uh, Hungry for Life has a, a mission to, to help churches partner with projects and, and needs in, in, in other parts of the world. And uh, he's actually not only worked in the Middle East, he lived there for a, a couple years, and he's been helping us discern about how we can help and how we can get involved. And so, so Brent, thank you for coming on up here. And we're going to hear some firsthand news from him because he's been to the hook. He's been there. And uh, we thought it'd be great to, to hear from you and uh, get an idea of what's really going on. Uh, thanks so much for having me here, Hillside. Uh, I've had the joy of working alongside Pastor Derwin for a number of years now and getting to know him well. Uh, and I have the joy of working alongside Lori Allward and Adam Hansen, who are Hillsiders. Uh, and I've heard so much about this church. Uh, and now I've had the privilege of being here for the first service and now the second service and just to see the way in which you worship our living God. So... Thanks for allowing us to be here. Well, you're so, you're so welcome. We're so glad you're here. Tell us, what's the bionic uh, deal with your leg? The bionic deal with my leg? Uh, I had knee surgery done. I had my ACL and my MCL replaced. Uh, old soccer injury. Anybody have knee surgery before? Yeah, yeah. Great stuff, isn't it? Really fun. It's lots of fun. Yeah, I heard that. Uh, your family's here. I mean, you've got uh, three kiddos downstairs, I believe. Uh, yeah, you surprised you can't hear them from here, but uh, they are downstairs, and my lovely wife here, uh, Rianne, we've been married for six years, and then uh, we have twin daughters, Olivia, Addison, Olivia and Addison, and our son is Reed. That's awesome. So great. Um, you've lived and worked in the Middle East. Where did you work? Yeah, so I lived and worked alongside an international church in Cairo, Egypt, for a year and a half. Uh, there we were serving predominantly Sudanese refugees and Egyptian nationals. Uh, so my job was you know, with the Sudanese refugees, uh, helping to work in the education system, uh, training them up in that sense, and then also as it relates to the Egyptian nationals, uh, a bit of sports ministry as well. That's awesome. Um, Brent, can you give us a, you've been there, uh, an idea of the sort of the history of the situation in Dahuk and what's led to their current situation. Yeah, so a great slide behind us here is to just show a little bit of the area and where we're talking about. But uh, in 2003, the U.S. moved into Iraq uh, and created uh, a war for all intents and purposes. Uh, whether right or wrong, we won't discuss that. But in the midst of that, uh, it helped to radicalize some Islamists in the country. Uh, so much so that over the years of occupation, in 2014, they actually broke free uh, as the U.S. was pulling out um, and began to take over much of Iraq and Syria uh, to the east, or to the west, sorry. Uh, so in their wake, 
they predominantly targeted Christians and the Yazidi minority as well. So they burned villages, uh, took people captive, horrible, horrible things. And it wasn't until they got to the doors of Baghdad that the coalition and the world woke up and came alongside the, the national forces as well as the Turkish forces or the Kurdish forces in the north uh, and really helped to put a stop to ISIS. Wow. And, and that's led to a movement of displaced peoples, mm -hmm. astronomical, correct? Yeah. So millions of people were displaced in the midst of that. Um, and a lot of them sought refuge. Uh, if they weren't able to get refugee status and come to Western nations and safe nations, uh, a lot of them sought refuge in the northern part of Iraq uh, in a region called Dahuk. That's wild. Tell us, uh, you've been there on the ground. What are, mm -hmm. You've visited these refugee camps. Can you tell us what it was like being there with your, you know, your own sort of story in that? Yeah, we, we talk about brokenness. We talk about uh, just the hardship that we face in life, uh, but for the light of Christ. And uh, to hear and sit knee to knee with some of these people and hear their stories uh, and what happened. Uh, you're seeing people that have had to buy their daughters back from captivity. Uh, you're hearing people that had their homes and villages destroyed behind them. Uh, the lost family members along the way um, who witnessed atrocities um, and that don't have hope, uh, that, are, that are living in this world without a hope. So there's, there's a deep heaviness there, uh, a darkness as well. But in the midst of that too, the Iraqi people, the Kurdish people, uh, they have a strength and a fortitude that I think is a gift from God, even though they wouldn't acknowledge that yet. Um, but they are so hospitable to the, to the outsider. Uh, I've had the privilege of being able to travel many places in the world uh, and, and engage in a lot of different cultures. And by far, the most hospitable and welcoming, throwing open their doors and providing what little they had for us around the dinner table. Even in refugee camps? Correct. Yeah. T tell, us, tell us what, what some of those camps look like. What yeah, so some of them, you can see some of the pictures behind us, but uh, a lot of these camps are, are exactly what you're seeing there. Um, so the majority of those that came are in the initial wave uh, were taken up by the UN and major charitable organizations and put into major camps. So 30,000 people in, in tents. And these camps have a working infrastructure. They have, uh, while they're temporary shelters, there's access to food securities, there's health care, there's education systems for kids. However, after the initial wave, uh, a lot of people were forced to settle on the outskirts or make remote settlements like this one. And they are pretty much given the hand-me-downs uh, from family members, if they knew family members or friends from other villages, uh, giving last year's tarp that's already degraded. Uh, they're given what little resources others can afford to give, but there's really no structure or charitable way that these people are supported. Wow, that's, that's crazy. Um, pre predominantly Yazidi people that are, that are settling around Dahuk. Can you tell us about the Yazidi people? What, who are this people group that many of us probably hadn't heard of before we started talking about it this fall? Yeah, so the Yazidis are a small minority of people. So it's an ethnic religious group, and there's a couple of Yazidi women up there with my lovely wife. 
Um, so the Yazidis is both an ethnicity but also a religion, uh, one that you cannot convert to or convert out of. Uh, you were born a Yazidi, you grew up a Yazidi. They have a, they have a creation story that is in the very beginning, similar to ours, God created the earth and everything in it, and then he created seven angels to oversee the earth. Um, and he commanded those angels to bow to man. But one of them refused and was sent to hell. And this is where things differ. Uh, that angel said to God, I refuse to bow to man because I will only bow to you because you are the only thing deserving to be worshipped. And his tears are said to have quenched the, hells of, or the fires of hell. Uh, so God in the Yazidi in Yazidism, raised him up as an overseer of mankind. So the Yazidis pray to this angel who takes the form of a peacock, um, who also shares a similar name. He has many names, but a similar name to that that is in the Christian texts and the Islamic texts um, and identified as shaitan. So we know him as the devil. However, the Yazidis know him as their one true representation to God. Wow, wow. And largely unreached people. Very much so, yeah. So less than 1%, in fact, 0.1% of the population are evangelicals or know and, the Lord. And probably many of them haven't even heard of Jesus. That's don't, correct. Don't know yeah. anything about him. Yeah, so this is a, this is a very uh, tight-knit community um, that until now, until they've been forced to leave their homes, have not had a lot of people wanting to go and spend time with them. They've been heavily persecuted over the course of many years, uh, and they have documented uh, 73 genocides in their history. And those have come at the hands of Christians and Muslims as well. So they, they've never heard the name of Jesus, and if they have heard it, they've never heard it in the way in which we know and love him. Wow. And then the church. There's a church in the Hook, yeah. a small church that has been reaching out to these Yazidi refugees that have been coming. Can you tell us more about this church? Yeah, so Pastor Samir up there and his family uh, have helped to start and grow this church. It started about 10 years ago and has been a small, small community of believers. The church is still persecuted in Iraq. Uh, there's some freedoms, but especially the evangelical community has been heavily persecuted. And over the course of their years, they've been a small community. But in 2014, as, as ISIS came over the country, many people came right to their doorstep, right to Duhuk. Uh, and this church and the members of it went beyond their walls, right out to the edge of the battlefield and started welcoming people in uh, and providing food and water and, and blankets and clothing for people that had run away from everything. And they, they're being the hands and feet of Jesus there. Uh, wow. A small amount of people that, are, that have a small amount of resources but are using them, I think, very much like Jesus would want us. So a, a, an under-resourced church with disproportionate opportunities to provide compassionate aid to the community around very them. Very much so, yeah. Wow, that's awesome. Um, we, we've been engaged with this a little bit already. Uh, how can we help? What's... Yeah, so, I mean... One of the beautiful things about this church is you guys respond, and you guys have responded. Uh, you guys have helped to provide right there. Those are the foods, uh, two months' worth of food supplies for some of these Yazidi communities on the outskirts. 
uh, and your church helped provide those. Uh, I, was, I had the joy and the privilege to be able to help distribute some of those alongside Pastor Samir while we were there. Um, but moving forward, there's so much need. Um, so there's, there's lots of opportunities to give. We're approaching winter now in these camps, and believe it or not, temperatures in northern Iraq and in this region get down to just below freezing. Um, and there's these people in these shelters. There's people sleeping on concrete. There's people sleeping on dirt under a tarp. Uh, so the opportunity to provide blankets and clothing, uh, kerosene for heaters, Again, further food supplies, but I mean, above all, and we know this, we have a powerful God, we can be praying. Um, so we've taken the liberty of making yeah. some Yazidi cards uh, just so that you guys can be praying into the community and, and know who you're praying for. Yeah, we're, we're praying. I mean, here's the thing. We want to just, in Jesus' name, show love to this community, but we also believe that, that uh, God's raised up this Yazidi people for us specifically to adopt and pray for. And so let's be praying for this community who, who have not heard the hope and, and compassion of Jesus. And so we want to do that. And so thanks for producing those cards for us. I encourage you to take that home and kind of use it, read it. Let's learn about this people group that God has placed in our lap and, and let's be faithful in praying for them. Brent, thank you so much for coming today. Thank you. It's so good to have you here. Let's give uh, Brent a, a huge hand. I... Uh, Hungry for Life has been a great resource to us as a church. You can't, I can't underestimate that. And what a great partner you've been. And uh, we're thrilled uh, about that. So thank you. And again, as I said already, this, this Christmas Eve, we're going to be taking a, an offering specifically for this, this church in DeHook uh, to help them in their, their really good work. I, 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 and I know this. We have need in Canada. It's right before us. Uh, and we're going to continue to... to enthusiastically respond to the needs in our community. I love the fact that we're doing that. Uh, the banquet yesterday was kind of celebrating that very thing. Uh, I think uh, the food hampers that you've brought generously given towards uh, also kind of puts a flag in our values in that and loving on our neighborhood. But we also know that God has entrusted us with abundant resources here in Canada. We are close to being the richest nation in the world. We're the haves, guys. Even our have-nots don't compare to the have-nots around the world. We are the haves, and God has entrusted us with much, and he calls us to sow what we've been given, to, yes, to the needs around us, to, 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 to sow into that, but also to go beyond, uh, step beyond ourselves where the needs are just far more critical. And so this is an opportunity this Christmas Eve, I, and I just kind of wonder, my, my own self is, uh, you know, maybe there's a Christmas gift you don't need to buy this year for somebody. Maybe, maybe somebody can go without. Maybe you as a family can decide we're going to do that one less thing and, and actually have some sacrifice in it. That's, that's a possibility uh, for some of us. But I, I'd, I'd encourage us to be praying about, about your opportunity to sow generously into that need. And it, whether it's a big gift or a small gift, we're trusting that God would multiply those gifts so that together we could make a huge impact for Christ, that we could really be the hands and feet of Jesus to the Yazidi people who God loves very, very much. I'm going to call the worship team forward, and, uh, but let's just pause for a moment, and would you pray with me? Again, in the beginning, God...
was the Word. And the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And by this Word, we were made. And the Word became flesh and dwelled among us. God, this is truly unbelievable news. And that's the real story of Christmas that should be shouted and twittered and, and uh, spread across the world today. And, and, and Lord, we'd ask you for grace as we seek to become incarnational, as we seek to follow in your footsteps. We want to remember today those in our community and, and those around the world who face great, new, great, great need or injustice or suffering or loss. We, we lift them up before you, God. And we pray for the Yazidi people, Lord. Feel like you've given them to us, and we're to steward that, and, and, and that it's going to matter what we as a church do in that community. And so, God, I pray, would you help us and remind us to, to, to truly grow to love these people, uh, Lord, so different than us, but they're flesh and blood like we are. They're our brothers and sisters. And so we pray for them even now that the light and hope of Christ would come to this people, and would you use us to do that? And Lord, we pray this Christmas that the unbelievably good news of your life among us, Emmanuel, God with us, may that news give us fresh joy and hope and peace. I pray these things with great thanks and faith. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thanks.